it's just so powerful to have that foundation and the way we teach our franchisees is is you know of course we want to grow the top line but we're looking at your bottom line with you and that's so important because we know that's what's going to drive growth and i i honestly think that's been the secret to our success this is the pmp industry insider podcast Hello, everyone. Welcome out to another episode of the PMP Industry Insider Podcast, where we look at what is changing in the industry and we take you to the front lines to those that are driving those changes. As always, I'm Donnie Shelton, owner of Triangle Home Services, which has Triangle Pest as well as Triangle Lawn. And with me is my compadre in arms, the world famous yet highly, highly unavailable. I shouldn't say that. Dan, would you like to say good morning? Introduce our topic and our most exciting guest. Yes. So uh, Dan Gordon, PCO Bookkeepers, Turf Books, and uh, PCO M&A Specialists. We specialize in CFO services for the pest and lawn industry, as well as exit planning services. And things are heating up in the lawn care uh, area, Uh, not just the season, but also a lot of M&A and just a real exciting time to be involved. And we could not have a better guest. This guest uh, um, you know, she is uh, part of the lawn care industry. Um, we are pleased to be joined by Jennifer Lemke. She's the CEO of Weedman and Turf Bob. And um, Jennifer has been in the lawn care industry with Weedman for more than 30 years, working alongside of her dad and her husband, uh, first as franchisees and later as the franchisor. So she is the CEO of Weedman. And get this, Donnie. Weedman is running, uh, I think, around $308.6 million in annualized revenue with 790 units. And uh, she has earned a number of accolades, including Women Entrepreneur of the Year from NALP and uh, Industry uh, Leadership Award from Lawn and Landscape Magazine. Hey, Jennifer, welcome. We are so excited to have you. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, yeah. before we get into this, I have a I have a small confession to make. So we we like to do confessions here on the podcast. So let me just yes, start with that. Uh, so it, it cleanses us. It does. It does. So <laughs> Jennifer, funny story. Um, you, you know, we have a lawn division now at Triangle. We haven't always had a lawn division. It's fairly new. But before I had a lawn division, and I lived in Holly Springs, I will never this as long as I live. It's like seven o'clock in January. It's freezing cold outside in, you know north carolina i mean it's obviously people in canada i, I was gonna say holy <laughs> spring north I'm carolina, carolina. <laughs> right okay so for north canada. carolina it's cold like legit it's like in the 20s right and someone's knocking at my door I'm like who in the hell is at my door it's seven o'clock night in january because it's dark right and it was a door team and i bought weed man and i had weed yeah. man for many many years uh, because I got sold right on the, I mean, I was like, yeah, that sounds great. No problem. And so, uh, obviously now, um, and, and, you know, we, we can, we can jab about this later, but, but triangle does my law now in case you're wondering, but, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so no, no, they did a great job by the way. They did it. And so welcome to the podcast. We're, we're so like Dan said, we're very excited to have you here. Um, and I think our listeners are going to get a lot out of um, your perspective and your thoughts and, and definitely your experience. And we were having a big conversation before the podcast started. Um, 
let's talk a little bit about your background just briefly. Just kind of bring uh, listeners up to speed on who you are, how you got in the industry, and kind of what you're doing now. I think that would be good. I mean, obviously, Dan gave went through the bio, but just kind of your your take on you know where you're at and kind of where you're going. Sure. Um, <clears throat> you know, I I have an elevator speech on this one because I get asked this a lot, and really the story starts with my dad. Um, when we were, I was 16 and he decided he was working for corporate America. He was uh, at Union Carbide and he decided he wanted to kind of go out and the entrepreneurial bug was, was uh, Adam. And he was, you know, considering all kinds of things. We looked at retail, we looked at restaurants and our neighbor owned a weed man franchise. And uh, it was in a small suburb town uh, called Ajax out of Toronto and uh, invited us over for dinner just on a whim one Sunday evening and my dad disappeared down in his basement and he said wow if he can do these kind of profit margins with two trucks imagine if I were to scale this out so uh, he started to look at Weedman very seriously and uh, we ended up buying he ended up buying a franchise he says that we did have a family meeting about this. I don't remember the invitation, <laughs> but he said we did. And he uh, he decided to pull the trigger. And we ended up being one of the first franchisees in uh, Hall, Quebec. So from that, he uh, did very well. Then he started, he bought seven more territories in the Montreal area. Not sure if you're familiar with Canadian geography, but a large uh, metropolitan area. And then from there, that's where my husband and I decided to join the business and, and a few of our friends and family uh, came on board and we started to do weed man acquisitions and became one of the largest multi-unit franchisees of the founder, Des Rice um, and, and Brenda. So things were going really, really well uh, with uh, our, well, we'll call them corporate stores. And then um, we approached Des and we bought the master rights to the U.S. to be the franchisor. We had, you know, really built a lot of systems throughout the years being a multi-unit. We were the first to a million, the first to 20 million, the first to 30 million. So we had to develop a lot of different systems along the way, uh, which, you know, at times we probably outpaced the franchisor in what we Mm -hmm. needed um, as far as a franchisee. So So they loved you guys. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Took that package and, and brought it over to the U.S. And then um, Brenda retired, Des passed away years ago. Brenda retired in 2018 and we bought uh, the worldwide rights. And that's kind of where things, um, you know, that's the story. Uh, quickly, sorry if I went on a little too long, but that no, that's it. That's fantastic. In a nutshell. Yeah. yeah. So um, from your perspective, I mean, you've been doing it for a while. How are things the same in the lawn care industry and uh, the, and how are they different from when you joined? And, uh, you know, we've got a bunch of friends and clients in Canada. Canada lawn care is very challenging compared to most of the U.S., although we seem to be uh, in certain states uh, getting, um, uh, you know, uh, more, more like uh, the, the Canadian regulations. So, so tell us about that. Yeah, so I got a chance to see a few of the questions you were going to ask today before, and I was giving it some thought, and I thought, you know what, the things that are the same are also the things that are very different, and I'll explain. Um, I would say customers' expectations 
are probably the same. You know, I started when I was 16 years old. And now if I, I think about it and you strip it away, they want green grass, weed free, insect free. And that's the ultimate product that they want. And the way we deliver it, the way they buy it, the way we communicate with them has changed. But in the end, in the crux, that really hasn't changed. And, um, you know, I think sometimes if you lose sight of that, <laughs> you, you kind of lose your way, um, you know, and a lot of activity that's been going on with mergers and acquisitions and stuff hopefully we're not going to lose that because to the crux of what the customer wants. And we, we're, we're in the midst of a big, big project. We're redoing our customer portal. So, you know, along the lines of how people are buying and communicating. So in doing that, we went out and we interviewed a bunch of customers, old, new customers, um, and, you know, quite a handful of these interviews and I read through all of them and it made me think when I saw that question that you were going to ask that it's like we kind of lost sight of that a little bit we lost sight of um, communicating with the customer and the way we communicate we just thought the same old should still apply now and you know they book on in January and in Canada sometimes we don't go see them till May well now that doesn't really fly anymore there's so many ways that they we can be talked to um, you know, through emails, through newsletters, through texts. And that was something we had missed the boat on. And as we were working on this project, so I'm glad you asked that question because it's certainly the expectations of what a customer wants is the same, but how we get there is different. Very, very different. Good. Very good. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about some of the challenges that you're, you know, that you're facing um, with, with Weedman. And, and, you know, I mean, this could go anywhere. Um, you know, obviously right. everyone has challenges and, and I think you get in a room full of owners and this could be, I think, any kind of trade industry. My guess is that they're probably going to be saying the same things when it comes to issues and problems, but <laughs> but I'll let you kind of like, let's just talk a little bit about like, what are, what are some, some of the greatest challenges that you guys are facing now? And then what are you doing to try to overcome? Yeah. Them? Well, <laughs> it's funny. Um, if you were to ask me three years ago, when COVID hit, my dad retired uh, March 1st, 2020. And oh, then the world's yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> down March 16th. So uh, I, it, uh, it was an incredible challenge to be a leader at that time, because I don't know, there was no manual telling you what to do and what not to do. Mm -hmm. It was just chaos uh, for me and a lot of sleepless nights and tons and tons of hours. And in, in the end, what got us through is relationships and the relationships we have with our franchisees and, and communicating and over communicating and being there and being available day and night for people that were, you know, on the ledge and not sure what was going to happen. And, you know, in the end, the service industry did very, very well through COVID. So it was, it was all good, but there was times where um, we didn't know there was a lot of unknown. So as, as a leader, that was probably one of my most challenging times is, is how to, you know, rein all this in. As, as an industry, you know, as we move through COVID and, and some of the supply chain issues um, that we've seen and continue to see in some areas, 
um, pricing increases, uh, where they're going to go, where the market's going to go, and being able to work through that with the franchisees. Um, we're, we're very, very lucky. We have really strong relationships uh, with the franchisees. We're, we're, I, I don't want to sound corny, but it's a family. It truly is uh, a family. And they know no matter what, we've got their best interests. So when we were, we saw that the supply chain was going to become an issue, we went out and talked to every supplier. And that's where my husband really is involved in, in that and talked to all the suppliers and really made sure that we secured the product. It wasn't necessarily, are we going to pay too much? It's getting the product and making sure we can continue to deliver the service that uh, to our customers. So that was a pivotal piece. And, and for us uh, working alongside our suppliers, it was just, the suppliers were amazing, um, you know, and, and they were part of a lot of the solutions through COVID, whether it be payment plans, you know, just all kinds of things. And I think some companies forget that they can be your biggest ally. Um, the other thing we did throughout the whole uh, COVID and, and we continue to do actually on a monthly basis is I'm on a call with our, our largest competitors every month. Still to this day, I, I'm on, we get on and we talk about legislative issues. We talk about market issues. Uh, what are we doing? We're, we're truly friends. So um, we, we do that. But throughout COVID, I mean, almost daily when it first started, I was talking to CEOs of Naturalon, uh, sorry, not Naturalon, Neutralon and, and a, a couple of the other ones, Lawn Doctor, our, our biggest competitor. And, you know, we really rallied together and kind of like, what are you doing with this? And what do you, so we helped each other through it. Today, I would say, and last year, I think we're seeing a little bit of a transition right now was labor for the yeah. franchise. Yeah. Labor has been, um, That's you, guys are, you guys are completely yeah. unique, by the way, just, <laughs> so yeah. That's everyone's problem. <laughs> you know, but and- I'll say that how we helped our franchisees and continue to help them is probably not as a traditional as you would think. And um, it was, it was literally suck it up buttercup, pull up your pants and let's, let's look at this. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not um, right now. You can't just look at the industry and what we're paying in, in our industry. You got to look at the Amazons and the Walmarts and the delivery services. What are they doing? What are they doing differently? And uh, it was interesting because I decided to apply. I went out and I applied to a bunch of different companies and I saw how quickly they were responding. And- so wait, 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 wait. You applied for warehouse help or something at Amazon to see how quickly they would get through. I love it. So you got to understand who your true competition is, right? It's like at this point, if we're going to, we don't need to outsmart the lawn care company next door. We need to outsmart Amazon and and they're fast. They're lightning fast. So if you think the days of asking for people to apply, waiting a week to go through resumes and then going and calling them for an interview, they're gone. Yeah. I was going to say those folks are gone. gone. Yeah. Yeah. And what's left is not what you want to hire. Right. Right. right? right. The good ones are gone. So you got to be faster. You got to be quicker. You got to be outsmart them. You got to, you got to do like you do for getting customers, how do you market for customers? You got to, you got to think the same way. 
And that's something that some of the old guard are kind of stuck in their ways and you're going to lose the game. Let me tell you something, you and I are so much on the same way right now. I tell people recruiting is like marketing. It just has different clothes on. It absolutely is. And we so much so that we, this is just for our listeners. It's just an idea to do. And and it's worked quite well for us. There's a thing called form reactor that we use for our customers. So if a customer goes on a website and they submit a service request, immediately a phone call is initiated to the company and Hey, we got a lead press one. Then that connects that call back to that customer. So if you submit a form within 10 seconds, you're probably going to get a phone call and it's automated. We've done that with our recruiting site for that exact same reason. What you just said was that, you know, you need to contact them immediately. There's no waiting. And so anyway, that's yes. 100%. Amen sister on that one. So, but we, (laughs) but we got that idea from marketing. Right. I mean, we, we've done that in marketing for a few years. Right. And we're like, we've got to get faster. And so, yes, I agree. Keep going. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, no. It's, it's, and it's so true. So you can sit and talk about the issue and gripe and, you know, oh, is me. I can't find good people. Or you can get out there and figure out what you need to do. And right. those are the companies that, that win. So, you know, in this, the, the devil's in the details. Um, you know, how are, you know, we've got a lot of people that reach out to us and you think about it and they're on Indeed, let's say, let's take Indeed as an example, and they're filling out their forms and they're filling out multiple forms, especially with this quick apply. And then we try and call them back and they're not answering our calls. Well, a lot of them are working. So Mm -hmm. they're not, so you got to text, call, email, like you just, Everything now is fast and you got to do it three, four different ways and, mm-hmm. and get to them. So it's just, it's innovation um, is so important. You got to change with the times you can sit and well about it, like I said, or, or, or get better at it. And, and that was, and the other thing that we had to do is we had to increase our, our um, pay structure. I mean, we were, we were outdated in a lot of markets. So, you know, doing a full analysis of what that looks like and where you need to be in the marketplace and, and, and then showcasing franchisees that the retention rates are high on employee retention. What are they doing? What's different? You know, um, pay is a piece of it. Culture is another piece of it. And you got to make sure that you're creating an atmosphere that People, you want to make it a destination job, right? So to do that, you got to make it fun. You got to pay well, and you got to do things maybe a little differently than you used to do. So, so this, just the, go the, ahead. The, I was just going to say, well, just to recap yeah. there real quick, just so if, if you're listening, number one, and I'm just summarizing here, is treat recruiting like marketing. That's that's number one is like you with the same intensity. Number two is to realize that we treat like marketing you know, you're going to have to respond very, very quickly. Uh, and, then, and then I would say number three, so there's treat it like marketing, respond quickly. And number three is that, you know, you really need to pay attention and focus on the culture, like your pay and your culture, because it's just, I agree with you. At the end of the day, labor, the labor pool is de- decreasing. And I'm talking from a macro level and it's more right. competitive. It, it absolutely is more competitive. So to sit around, yeah. you can, like you said, you can sit around and complain about it or you can do something about it. So Dan, I didn't mean to step on you. Yeah, no, no, no problem. So, so that yeah. the, the, the next, that kind of leads me to the next topic. So you're going to uh, go out and look at market forces on labor. Uh, 
in my experience, lawn care and pest control, uh, the PL is a formula, right? And the formula is the labor, materials, and you know, all the rest of the cost to get sold for gross margin and sales marketing and GNA, right? And what we saw is during COVID, or uh, you know, as COVID moved on and, and wage inflation uh kicked in, that really messed with the formula, right? And messed with profitability. So the immediate reaction that you needed to do is to raise prices, okay? And so that you can put it back into the formula. So if I'm paying $15 an hour and uh, you know, I want that to be uh, you know, a uh, 20% labor rate, then I've got to be at $75. But if I, I now pay $20, now I got to be at $100, right? So that we saw a lot of clients raise prices and do it successfully. But uh, one of the things that you do is this zero-based budgeting and also considering that wage inflation. Tell us a little bit more about that. Uh, for a company your size, you, you, you've got to have accurate budgeting. How does all that work? Yeah, so that's that's a loaded question. There's so many different facets to that. So, you know, we we really for sure the technician and you know the local labor. But one of the things that we did, and I'll get to the zero-based budgeting afterwards, is we had already started this before COVID, thank goodness. Um, we went virtual with our marketing. So we don't have marketing rooms. We used to have, you know, in some offices, you'd have 50, 100 people in one room and recruiting all those people. It was just becoming crazy. And of course, if you think about it, your, your top 25 salespeople look very different than your bottom 25%. So we started to analyze that. And as labor, you know, became more and more of an issue going virtual with the sales. So our sales managers, our salespeople are all over the place. Like there's no, there's no bricks and mortar. You know, we may have a few franchisees that still have uh, people coming in, but by and large, it's all virtual. COVID forced us to, which we never thought was to look at the admin to go virtual. Um, and we've done that very successfully. So we have, you know, for us, our labor expenses went for sure. They went up at the local technician level, but because of our recruiting now became, well, I won't say worldwide, but let's say North American wide. I'm now I've got, you know, if I look at Canada, I've got maybe people up in Saskatchewan working in our Toronto branch. And I've got people in Newfoundland working in our Toronto branch. And that's, you know, what you have to pay administrative people that live in Toronto and work from Toronto is a lot more than you have to out there. So looking at those types of opportunities and becoming very strategic on, on that technology was a huge factor. And we're, we're lucky we have a. So, so you're redistributing the costs, but keeping right. the formula intact. Right. So, right. Yeah. Now, yeah. did we raise prices? Of course we, we had to raise prices and, and some franchisees, cause we don't dictate what they, you know, each market is different and each owner needs to do a market analysis and figure out where their pricing needs to be. And I would say a lot of our owners did not do a good job with keeping pace of increases and no no one does yeah people yeah. are scared yeah. and once they do it they realize it's not so bad it's they, it's they, not so bad yeah isn't so bad 
Right. And it's how you, how you do it too. You know, there's, we do it in steps with our customer bases and you know, that you can do a whole course on, on how to manage your database. But um, so, so I would say that was very impactful for us is to show our franchisees how to take technology and take it to your advantage, go virtual, um, you know, and then look at, at really beefing up the technical side and people that we don't have a choice. I mean, they have to be and have to go into the office and, and then take their truck from there. So, so that's a piece of it. And then zero-based budgeting, you know, a lot of companies out there, I would say, well, there's a lot that don't budget at all, but right. most companies do incremental budgeting and, you know, I'm, I want to grow 10%. So I'm going to look at my, you know, historical and, bump it up 10% or whatever the margins they want to so, maintain. So real quick, I, I just want to pause, just for our listeners, can you guys just quickly, I know what zero-based budget is, but let's just for our audience, let's just define what that really means, like that term. Well, in its most simplistic <laughs> form is it's zero. We have nothing. We pretend that the past didn't exist. We take a peek at it because there's trends, but we pretend it doesn't exist. So we build our customer base with these assumptions every year. Um, we don't say we're going to grow by 10% and just kind of back into it. We say, okay, well, um, our renewals. Historically, we know what we've renewed at. We have X amount of files at the end of last year, and we're going to assume that we're going to get that. So when we're having discussions on retention rates, we're, we're talking points of a percentage. Um, that's where the discussion's not, oh, you know, we're going to go from 75 to 80% retention rate. I mean, and, and that a lot of companies do that. They have no idea what their true retention rate is. They don't, they measure it differently year over year. So, you know, the crux of it is to measure things exactly the same and then start off and say, okay, we have a so blank slate. So, we have zero customers. So to be clear, it's, it's you, okay, so you have your retention, I mean, you have your current customer database, you've factored out what you anticipate to be retention, and that's attrition. what you used to, attri- yeah. yeah, sorry, your yeah. attrition, right, and then that's what you consider to be, this is what we have in order to budget for next year, we're not going to, we're not going to, I call that living on the curve, right, I'm going to grow 25%, let me budget that, that extra revenue in, as far as like, yeah. for expenditures, I just to be clear, is that, No. Yeah. And then, and then we go to the next bucket. So we say, okay, old customers, we're going to, how are we going to do on old customers? So we're going to do a marketing campaign to all of our old customers. And this is what that's going to look like. I know how many files I have. I know historically what my decision rate is and my closing rates are, and I'm going to build a team and know exactly how many salespeople I'm going to have to do to get these calls done. And that number changes every year. So then we look at that and we say, okay, this is what we're going to get from the old customer bucket. Then we have a lot of people that have reached out to us or we've reached out to them. We've tapped them on the shoulder and said, hey, do you want lawn care? And they said, no, but we gave them a quote. So they're in our database. And then we really focus in on what we're going to do with that piece of our database and then figure that out. We know a decision rate. And the beauty for us is we have all our franchisees across North America. So we can look at the top 25 and see what they're closing at. We, we know exactly what their decision rates or closing rates. 
what percentage of a total file they're getting. So we are able to use those numbers to really budget out section by section. And then once we're done that piece, we then align expenses with this new uh, income from sales. So it's not just we're going to increase by 25%. We're going to look at, we know our average price in each bucket. We know when we typically bring them on, we've got algorithms that'll say, you know, if you're OP file, based on your historical last 10 years, you brought your old prospect file on like this. Well, this is how they're going to come in to your company. So really understanding um, the numbers is is probably, I would say, the key to our success. So we, let's talk about the, the old customers because the... It, most companies that I know will send out their prepay letter. And if they don't get a response, they'll uh, just go out and start uh, doing the work. And, you know, I, there's certain regulations that, in certain states and can, that you can and can't do that. But you treat your old customers as a new sale. Is that what I'm hearing? Or So we, we auto renew. We do continuous service of our current. And we define that very, very defined on what that looks like. And then anybody that for whatever reason wasn't with us the previous year, we do campaigns, specific campaigns right. uh, to them. I so, got you. I, I, I yeah. thought we were talking old, meaning uh, existing customers that are going to go next year. Okay. So, yeah. No. Uh, that, uh, so, so the cancel list. So then tell us about the expense side. Okay. What, okay. We've got, you know, we're, we're going to dial into the revenue and the beauty of recurring revenue is that you can, you know, you've got these three buckets, the, the predictability, the, the route work, the, the renewal work, and then the new sales. And if you can dial those in, you can get pretty close. But what do you do about your, uh, on the expense side? You just, is that a formula or, or you know? So then based on when we're going to bring on our customers, we calculate out how much fertilizer we're going to use based on calibration rates, different applications, um, you know, all of our products are essentially done. Once you got the income from sales done, then it, it feeds into, and I mean, our, our business plan is, is second to none. It's, it's an unbelievable spreadsheet and you plug it in and it literally brings it across to your direct expense. And then you figure out how many trucks you're going to need employees. And we factor in redundant redundancy, bench strength, whatever you want to call it. We know that if you need X amount of trucks out there, you need to hire X amount of people. So that's all factored in. And so it's an incredibly detailed business plan. And then we take that and we actually now have taken this and formalized it into 10 year plans. So we're able now to share with our, you know, with a few assumptions, what their 10 year will look like based on this year's budgeting. And we continue to do that with our franchisees. In fact, I just spent the last couple of days with a franchise doing their 10-year plan with them. And it's just so powerful to have that foundation. And the way we teach our franchisees is, is you know, of course, we want to grow the top line, but we're looking at your bottom line with you. And that's so important because we know that's what's going to drive growth. And I, I honestly think that's been the secret to our success. And then from the business plan, all of our systems flow from that. And what I mean by that, like if we've got an income from sale and we're tracking it with these different buckets, I mentioned a few, we then take that and we, we have built a, what we call a sales analysis program 
and it takes the data from the business plan and puts it into this. And we share that every week with all the franchises in the network and they can see where they are comparatively to their peers, but also comparatively to their budget. So if they're behind, now we're able to say there's a gap here. What are we going to do to catch up instead of waiting at the end of the season and saying, oh, darn it, we didn't make it. We can be alongside them and say, hey, if you continue with this trend, you're not going to get there. So, so we either corporate- need to think. At corporate, you're looking at each franchise each month, each. not just there. You know, we've we've done some work with some franchises in the past, and some are good and some aren't. And a lot of them are just really interested in their royalty, right? So what, what are you doing? It sounds to me like, you know, the royalty will take care of itself if you do all of these things and coach them. And, and so, so it sounds like you're very involved in your franchisees business. Very, very involved. In fact, yeah. sometimes I, I'm sitting there at 10 o'clock at night, looking at numbers. And I'm thinking, well, they're probably not looking at this. Right. <laughs> so I need to dial back. sometimes. But, but that's why you are where you are. And I, I guess <laughs> I just, you know what? The devil's in the details. I said it earlier. It's in, we're in lawn care. We're not, you know, I know it sounds maybe sophisticated and we're getting there and, and the industry is getting more and more sophisticated, but in the end, this industry is not run from a boardroom. This industry is down in the weeds, pun intended. Mm-hmm. And that's where you win, right? You yeah. win in the details, you win in the gaps and, and, you know, I call them gaps, but really those are where the opportunity sits. So understanding that, and I mean, it's in my blood, right? I grew up in the industry, so I, I've been on the lawns, I've telemarketed, I've door knocked, I've, I've done applications, I've, I've done every position in the company. So I, I understand it. I, I get it. So moving right along to what the future looks like, uh, it looks like you've invested in uh, a company uh, or a turf bot, which is the robotic mowing. And um, at first, I didn't realize, I I have a friend who got involved with it, and it just seemed like we're way, way ahead of the curve. Uh, But um, it was explained to me how you're doing it, and uh, it seems like a pretty neat thing. Can you tell us about robotic mowing, and do you think it's a feasible business for now, for the future? what, What do you think about that? Yeah, um, good, good question. So we've been testing it now for a few years uh, in, well, in three key markets. Last year, we went into 10 markets. All of them are Weedman franchisees. um, And really, we want to capitalize on our database. We service about 650,000 customers across North America. We understand how to market to them. You know, I just talked about that. So for us, we wanted to look at... um, and, and we're a franchisor. So we're looking at all kinds of home services. Turfbot just kind of fell on our lap. Uh, so in looking at it, how do we capitalize on these customers? And it's kind of a light business, right? There's so many people that are doing lawn cutting and lawn maintenance. So it made sense for us to, to look at this. But the margins that you see in lawn care, and I know in pest control as well, is not necessarily the same margins in landscaping and lawn cutting, right? And they're, they're different. I won't say which way, but they're different. Um, so we didn't want to just get into the, the industry. We wanted to do it in a way that was different. And the robotics came to us, you know, reading a few articles and some of the trade magazines. And we came upon Robin and uh, which are great. And they're doing some great things. They, 
the interesting part about it, this concept is not new to the world. I mean, Europe is is got millions of robots sold uh, across Europe. It's new to North America, and um, the landscapes in Europe are very different than the ones in North America. So I think R and D for this to be a truly viable concept in North America. We need to get more R&D and more testing done in the North American marketplace. Um, you know, some of the robots that we were working with are great. They're great, but they have their challenges. The wiring and the different climates here in North America um, poses a challenge to some of this wiring that you have to do to contain the robot on, on the lawn, you know, especially up in the North where people are plowing their the snow and you're cutting wires and causes some issues when you're trying to reinstall it the next season. So I would say um, right now, is it viable for the future? I think this is going to be the future. I, I really do. Um, I feel like technology is just maybe a step behind where it needs to be. We need to be wireless. It needs to be GPS uh, and it's getting there. It's getting there on the large um, industrial lots. And the reason it's there for the larger lots is you have visibility to satellites. Where in the homeowner's lawn, you don't necessarily have visibility. The robot has to have visibility to be able to get the GPS coordinates, right? So that causes some issues. So I think they're refining, refining technology. You're seeing it in Europe. It's it's coming to North America. So, um, and then as far as marketing the service, it's it's been a bit of a challenge uh, because it's not like we're coming out and we're marketing a new brand. We're marketing a whole new concept. We're going to mow your lawn, but with a robot and you have to explain it's like the Roomba and, you know, you got to explain so that, that. That's that, that, that whole route. So the way it was explained to me is the way it's going to look is somebody's going to come up uh, with a truck and he's going to let loose like, you know, 20 lawnmowers in, in the neighborhood and he's going to operate like a video game. Uh, <laughs> uh, right, let, uh, let a video game. And then it was explained to me the other day that it's kind of like the vacuum, the, the Amazon vacuum or whatever, like I have in my house. It just sits in a rack and periodically it comes out and vacuums and uh, uh, it, it seems to work great. Is is that kind of the way it's exactly. going to work? And, Exactly yeah. the way it's. So you're just going to rent the equipment, and then how does the hedge? How to we hedge actually we own. Yeah, we own the equipment in our model. We own the equipment, and we it's our employee. We've dropped off our employee, and it just happens to live at your house, and then um, <laughs> we wire it to keep it contained, and and then we go out once a month and maintain it, and um, you know sharp make sure the mowers are sharpened if there's errors uh sometimes it, some errors it's easy for the homeowner to just kind of redirect it and it's all good other errors we got to deploy somebody to go out and see it so we're in 10 markets uh we had last year we had over i think it was close to 750 robotic mowers across uh 10 cities in the US we're the largest purchaser of mowers uh, in North America. So um, for us, was that a success? I mean, marginal for us. We, we, we wanted a lot more. We wanted to double that out in the marketplace. But it was a good first year being tested in 10 markets. Our goal is to be uh, about 1,500 this year. 
So double where we were at last year. You're way ahead um, of the curve, way ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, a lot of people would say, wow, you're doing awesome. And it's like, ah, yeah, we're doing okay. We're, it's we're okay. It's a test, yeah. but it's going well. It's yeah. a test. Yeah. It's going well. And and the the partners that we've chosen to, to work alongside us during this test are really good. There's some people with couple of them had landscaping experience, which we wanted that uh, to bring that. We had others that had zero landscaping experience, just weed man experience. We wanted that. So just to test all kinds of different things. And honestly, we we have been really lucky. Our partner at Weedman Site One um, has been our best distributor. We spend tons of money with Site One. So when they found out we were going into robotics, they raised their hand and said, we want to partner with you and we want to do this alongside you. So they've been awesome. Absolutely wonderful. So big shout out to Site One. Sorry if I'm not allowed to do that, but oh, that you're is absolutely some, allowed to do it. Yeah, they were. <laughs> we get to do whatever have, we want here. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. They have been really great, great partners for us. Um, You know, they've said, if you guys are doing this, then we want to be involved in it and we're going to support you however way you need it. And, you know, Husqvarna now is is really stepped up and they're just trying to figure out how they're going to come to market. So now, you know, we've hooked in, I think, with the right people right now at Husqvarna and they're really helping us and they're going to help us with R&D and close the loop on, you know, we're seeing these errors come up a lot. What are we going to do? How are we going to modify the robot to make it easier? So I'm a customer. I say, listen, I want you to take care of my lawn. You're going to say, okay, we're going to install this uh, uh, robot. Um, and it's going to have like a, um, you know, a, a place an invisible parks, fence. and then it goes, you know, just, yep. yeah. Uh, and, and, but, but what about the hedges? What about the trimming? What about all of that? How, how do you, how do I get a complete landscape service that I had? Right. You know, old technology. So for, so for turf bot, we wouldn't do the hedges and the trees. That would be the landscape. And, and some of the franchises might do that, but not as part of turf bot. They might have their other landscaping company do that or sub that piece out. So, but we would do trimming of the lawn, edging of the lawn, anything with the lawn, we would do that as part of the, the service. So does the robot Our, do the edging or do you need? No, somebody will go out twice uh, twice a month and, and they'll do that for the, the homeowner. But he can fly through it because the lawn right. is already done. Okay. Yeah, right. Done. Yeah. And it's surprisingly enough, not many of our customers do. It's less than 20%, depending on the market, that add that service on. So it's really interesting. Um, you know, we can get the robot, if wired properly, we can get the robot right to the edge of the lawn where you kind of get into issues I'm getting too technical is if it rains and there's a little bit of a slope that'll slide off so you gotta you gotta know the angles it's 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 an art to install these things it's not a science it's an art that's all right though technology will catch up it's only a matter of time so I love it I love it well Jennifer look we did not get I think we got to like half well (laughs) let's let's go for this last one last thing so Looking ahead in terms of the growth, you said becoming a half a billion dollar company is possible in the next four years. And then within a decade, you'd be the number one one care company, which would mean surpassing True Green. Are we allowed to say that, Donnie? Yes, we are. And yes. a, a $1.5 billion company, what does that path look like and where does the growth come from? So, so one of the brands that we didn't talk about that we did add and we gave it 
to our franchisees for free. It was a mosquito hero. And uh, we said to the weed man, we're going to add this service. We're going to brand it like it's its own service. We're going to have different vehicles. And and that's really uh, starting to take off. So we're really excited about that. So that's all part of the revenue of weed man turf bot is completely separate. We we've really treated that as a separate brand, but weed man and mosquito hero. So definitely growth there uh, looking to add on other services. We haven't been in the tree and shrub in at weed man. So looking to add that. So that that'll, you know, be part of our, our growth. What we have been able to do because of what we've done in Canada, remember what my story before we got on was, you know, we became the largest multi-unit of Des, the founder, way back when. We have really developed systems and processes for our franchisee to mirror exactly what we've done. You know, we've we've got one of our U.S. franchisees, uh, the Kurth Group, they're going to be $41 million lawn care business. And they've done it through, you know, greenfield and multi-units and virtual and the technology and whatnot. So taking our existing franchise core and um, showing them how to be very effective at multi-units and, and adding that concept to them, we've done very, very well with that. And then bringing on new franchisees and continuing to, you know, so for us, it's just this flywheel of making sure our franchisees are growing their top line, but really focused on their bottom line so that they continue to grow, acquire more territory. We haven't gotten into the acquisition. I think we've done one or two big acquisitions, meaning outside of Weedman. And that's something that we may or may not look at. That's uh, something we're going to work on this summer to see what it looks like. Certainly there's a lot of activity, so I don't know if we can compete with some of the big M&A guys out there, but um, looking at different opportunities and, you know, going into a greenfield and maybe doing an acquisition just to get started. It's funny. Had you asked me four years ago, True Green was this big, big, audacious, huge company in front of me. And Two years ago, somebody said, wow, the way you guys are growing, like, is True Greens in your site? And I was like, oh, no, no, like, they're so big. Like, they're just awesome. They're incredible. They're the largest in the industry. And then watching our growth and seeing the opportunities and looking at the gaps and playing in the weeds. And I'm like, maybe, maybe we could do this. And, uh, for the first time in my career, I'm like, yeah, why not True Green? Why not? I'll, I'll and, put this in front of you. They're owned by private equity. Why not buy them? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> True. Hey, you know what? In our industry, I, somebody was telling me in the top 50, there's only three of us left that aren't private equity. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Three yeah. of us. That private it. equity has just been so aggressive in uh, lawn oh. and past. Um, uh, it, yeah. the last two years have just been incredible how aggressive they've been, yeah. but, uh, what it's good for the lawn care industry, if you're a seller, because it's finally lawn care is getting the respect and, and the values are being driven up. Whereas pest right. has been there for many years. And yeah, uh, so it'll be kind of yeah. nice, but if you're a buyer and eh, not so good, right. No. So, right. You know, well, it right. drives prices up, but I, the thing I like, I, and there's absolutely, I, I think there's a market for you guys on the acquisition side, because, you know, I would feel really good about what happens after the sale, knowing that it's going to an owner-based 
company, you know, a franchise, and even just listen to you talk about the support on the backside, like, you know, it's not just, we're going to toss this thing out in the water and just, you know, they can deal with it now. So there absolutely is a market there, but Jennifer, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. I have very much enjoyed our conversation. I have, while we were talking, I was digging into like looking at robotic mowing. I'm like, man, you know, my brain's all over the place. So it's been kind of fun uh, listening to you and what you guys are doing. It's really exciting and very impressive. And so I just want to say thank you for coming on board. And, and yeah, th- th- thanks so much. Is there any, uh, you know, are you trying to uh, reach potential franchisees or is there a way to contact you? Is that something that we can help you with? Uh, with our Yeah. Audience? Visit us at weedmanfranchise.com uh, okay. for sure. And if, you know, we're not in your area, reach out to us. We'd love to, you know, make sure, you know, one of the things that we do through the, the awarding process is to make sure the fit is right. Like, I know it sounds like platitudes, but our franchisees are so amazing. They really are. And it's been such a joy to work with them and finding this fit is not just something we say, we really need to find people that fit for us and we fit for them and we can make them profitable. If we can't, then there's no point in joining us. But those are the types of companies that we really want to to go after. So give us a call. I love talking to people. I love people. And our our would would somebody with a pest control company who wants to add lawn care, would that be a a good or is it just somebody who who no Anybody. Okay. Yeah. Good. Pest right. control is great because you can capitalize on your, your customer list. Yeah. And we know how to do that. We we've gotten some quite a few pest control companies that have joined us. We have golf course superintendents that have joined us. We have people from you know corporate America join us. So there is there is a lot of opportunity in this industry, and especially as an add-on business. I mean, you can capitalize on some of the efficiencies with your team and and add us on for sure. Give me a call. That's great. <laughs> do it. We'll you do bet. it. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much. Just a reminder, all the resources and topics we talked about today is available on the podcast website, pmpindustryinsider.com. Just take a look under show notes. A summary of this show will be on that website as well. And with that, hey, Jennifer, Donnie, thank you did so- we yeah. mention, did we mention our sponsor? Oh no, go ahead. And then we'll finish. Okay. Up. So our, this podcast is sponsored by uh, we're uh, cold March by Workwave. Uh, if you are looking for uh, digital services, uh, go to coldmarch.com. And uh, with that, I think we're out. We're, uh, we're out of here. Thanks See so much. Thank you, Jennifer. Bye. Bye. Now. Take care. Bye. 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 Bye.